Are you also tired of one-size-fits-all weight loss plans? Meet Noom, the personalized solution that meets you where you are. Noom is able to understand your unique needs, from dietary restrictions to medical concerns. Unlike restrictive programs, Noom embraces your lifestyle and choices. Discover a sustainable approach to weight loss, tailored just for you. Honestly, Noom felt like it was made for me. It's not just about what I eat. It's about understanding why. With Noom, I've learned so much about myself and built healthier habits that stick. It's all about progress, not perfection. Say goodbye to restrictive diets and experience the Noom app for yourself with personalized lessons and expert coaching. Noom's psychology and biology-based approach has helped over 5.2 million people achieve their goals. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Hello and welcome to the Miles to Memories podcast. I'm Sean Coomer, your host, joined today by PDX Deals Guy, longtime friend of the site, contributor. How you doing today? Doing great, thanks. Contributor, that might be a little bit, uh, a little bit of a stretch, but Kate. Honorary contributor at this point, uh, but you have contributed in the past and uh, you're always helping in the Slack and behind the scenes and we definitely appreciate it. And you've been on the show, what now, a couple times, so... Good to have you back. You were on, what, earlier this year, I think? Yeah, I think so. And then, you know, some of the other Diamond Slack uh, shows and so forth. But yeah, I think uh, I think it was earlier this year on the big show. So before we get into the show, as a reminder, you can find everything related to the show at mtmpodcast.com. You can find links to apply for cards if you want to support the show, links to subscribe in any podcast app, everything you need there, mtmpodcast.com. So uh, PDX Deals Guy, we have a lot to talk about. It's been a crazy week. There's been a lot of things. Uh, our favorite hotel program broke up with our other favorite no well mgm is not my favorite hotel program but uh hyatt broke up with mgm which i know is like a big deal for a lot of people in the community because so many people were doing mattress runs right uh, in fact i know you did some uh you let me use your room at new york new york and by use it i mean you let me go in there and film it because uh you weren't sleeping in it that night and uh, so there's been a lot of that going on and i wonder like how that changed the financial aspect on the back end for these partners uh, as a reminder going back 2013 is when mgm and hyatt first announced a partnership and at that point it was just for earning points across properties and then i think it was 2017 when they added the reciprocal status match which was the real bread and butter the beauty of this program and back then globalist or diamond i don't remember if you were it was still the old hyatt program but you got platinum status with uh, m life which was amazing i remember uh, being in vegas with a friend of mine who does gamble a fair amount but not a crazy gambler but he gambles a fair amount and he had like pearl status and i walked into like mandalay bay to meet him and i showed him my platinum card and i don't really gamble very much uh, or at all and uh, he was very much uh, impressed and a little bit taken aback when i showed him my platinum card uh, but then they de- devalued that gold status added no resort fees what last year when they launched mgm rewards which is what really made this a big deal yeah. because you could stay at a cheap like luxor or excalibur and uh, get uh, like a 30 dollars high at night and that's now going away uh, in september losing the no resort fees is definitely i think going to be the saddest part uh, for and then you know the ability to earn high at nights as you point out uh, you know there's been a fair amount of mattress running going on even com- combining with a recent uh, built promotion 
revolution that uh, allowed people to get globalist status with what 20 uh, Hyatt stays over the course of uh, I think there was a couple of month period I think it's still actually go- going on so yeah that's that's uh, going to be a, a big loss that's going to hurt some folks yeah and I've talked on other shows I think in the Diamond Lounge about how people were probably overpaying for globalist status like there's people who are doing 30 nights at MGM properties and are you really spending enough nights at Hyatt where you're getting the benefit from the status compared to the overall cost I know for a lot of people it was a good deal uh, especially with those promos they had earlier this year where you got different you know bonus points and they, they are always running different promos uh, but yeah it's going to be a big hit I do wonder you know I think the biggest hit is for there's a lot of Hyatt customers who go to Las Vegas and use these benefits uh, free parking for somebody like me as a local uh, but you know just all the benefits especially the wave resort fees if you're coming here for a week that's a huge you know savings and I think that's going to be missed and you know as of the time this comes out the status match is already gone they didn't give that till September they're like we're cutting it off July 14th or at least that's what the terms say they haven't like publicly said that but the terms all very clearly say that the status matched through July 14th Uh, so you know if you haven't done that you're probably out of luck Uh, but the good news is the status that you do have from the match is good through the end of January so if you're going to Vegas anytime between now and January you can use your MGM status but anytime after September 30th or basically starting October 1st you know you're not going to earn points between the programs and and all of that. I know this isn't your Vegas show, but, uh, you know, plug shout out for the great Vegas show that you and Mark do. But I wonder uh, if you might opine what you think, you know, does this have anything to do with the status of Hyatt and the Rio property and what's to come? Yeah, so Rio this week got approval from the Gaming Control Board. And what happened was in 2019, a company called Dreamscape bought Rio from Caesars Entertainment, and they had a three-year contract for Caesars to manage the casino while Dreamscape figured out what they were going to do. They extended that another year into this year. Uh, But Dreamscape is going to take over Rio, I believe, in October. And they just went in front of the Gaming Control Board to get their gaming license. And as part of that presentation this week, they announced what they're going to do with the property. So they're going to do an 18-month renovation for the first phase, spending $350 million. And that's going to renovate the Ipanema Tower, which is the old tower there, 1,500 rooms. Uh, That will be a Hyatt of some sort. And then when they're done with that, they're going to move on to the Masquerade Tower, which is the taller tower, another 1,000 rooms. So we know there's going to be a mix of Hyatt resorts. Uh, They're doing a full top to bottom refresh of the casino, the pool area, the conference facilities, basically everything. Uh, $350 million, like I said. So I don't know if $350 million these days is enough to really bring Rio to where it needs to be, but I know Hyatt has some decent brand standards. And the cool thing about Rio is the rooms were all built as suites, quote-unquote suites, but I think the smallest room there is 550 square feet. So you do get a really spacious room. So the bones are good. This will be a really good Hyatt property for people, uh, if you don't mind being a little bit off-strip. I think it could have something to do with that. Uh, we also had, you know, Cosmo is part of MGM, but it's linked to Marriott. And several times this year, they've delayed moving Cosmo's casino program from Identity, which is their in-house program, to MGM Rewards. So maybe, you know, it has something to do with that. Maybe they're talking to Marriott. Maybe they're talking to IHG, uh, who has a presence at the Venetian, but not a huge presence. Uh, Obviously, other companies could be involved. Or maybe MGM just says, we don't really need that. It's not really benefiting us. We see how Hyatt's getting the benefit from all their customers, but maybe MGM is not getting that benefit. Maybe their customers are not going to Hyatt's and they're not you know seeing the value there hey everyone this is sean from the future i just wanted to cut in here because we recorded this before mgm and marriott announced their partnership so it was a big deal over about a week 
Hyatt was out, then eventually Marriott announced to be in. There isn't full details of what is happening with the Marriott partnership to MGM, although it does say in the press release that MGM members will be able to match to Marriott and get some benefits. It does not specifically say that Marriott members will get benefits at MGM properties. This probably means that the status match is off, so you probably won't be able to match your Marriott Bonvoy status to MGM to get gold status, wave resort fees, something similar to what we saw with Hyatt, although we don't know 100%. It's just the language that they put out in the press release. The good news is that you still have your MGM status if you matched from Hyatt through the end of January of next year, meaning that starting in October when this Marriott partnership begins, you will be able to possibly earn Marriott nights and points while getting wave resort fees if you still have that gold status left over at least through the end of January. So it's an exciting time if you really love Marriott Bonvoy. They've been the partners with Cosmo this entire time. Now we are going to see the rest of the MGM properties take over that. And as you probably know Marriott loves their collections and they're creating this MGM collection that's going to have most of their Vegas properties but then Bellagio is going to go in the luxury collection Aria is going to join Cosmo in the autograph collection and Park MGM is finding its way into another collection itself unlike Hyatt they're also including casinos outside of Las Vegas so that's Beau Rivage in Biloxi that's Borgata in Atlantic City that's the MGMs in Detroit Springfield Massachusetts and National Harbor down in Washington DC those are also included in this so this is a big shift up. It's going to take some time to figure out what the benefits of this are for Bonvoy members, how this works, how it doesn't. But this is a big change in landscape. I know it's big for a lot of you who really used MGM's partnerships for not only the status to enjoy yourself in Vegas, but also for those Hyatt nights. And I don't think anybody really saw this coming, although given Cosmo and MGM's relationship, not a huge surprise. So let's get back to the show that we recorded. But I did want to add this in since the Marriott news broke after we recorded. Back to the show. While we're talking Vegas real quick what did you think of the Vegas sphere Uh, we talked about it a lot on the show and you can see visuals of it on the Vegas show uh, and just about everywhere else I guess Uh, but this is that giant sphere it's the largest spherical structure in the world although people will point out that it's not a full sphere because the bottom is not round Uh, but it's entirely covered in screens the outside I think has screens that would cover three football fields and they debuted it on the 4th of July and they've been doing shows with it Uh, the inside won't open until September for U2 but uh, you know everything from like earth moon eyeballs uh, jack-o'-lanterns fireworks i mean this screen is pretty spectacular yeah it's uh, amazing and i think anyone that complains about it not being a real sphere uh i'd be a little bit nitpicky i'm not sure how it wouldn't roll away if it was a real sphere but uh yeah the visuals that came out over the fourth of july i i know you probably had some of them on your uh twitter and so forth or retweeted some other things the images that uh i saw were just just amazing and just to clarify you mentioned u2 that their u2 is going to open it up with a residency or at least a you know short-term residency of some sort in, in October uh, and I know the tickets are just you know through the roof on that but it sounds like the inside is going to be nearly as uh, impressive as the outside but the, yeah the outside has just totally changed the you know as if Vegas could be any more kind of out there in terms of the way it looks and appearance flying in or driving around town I mean that sphere is just going to change the landscape even even more yeah that's the, a good point the inside is going to be equally or at least they're promising it to be equally as impressive as the outside i think they have four hundred thousand speakers inside uh, this place is going to seat about twenty thousand eighteen thousand seats i think twenty thousand standing room only uh they will be showing movies they have an in-house movie so if you want to go kind of see the technology and see everything you can go see a movie there and that, those will run every single day from when it opens this fall and of course they're going to have the youtube 
residency and other residencies and other shows. So you'll be able to see like big production shows. But if you just want to get in there and see the sound tech and, you know, experience the building, the screens on the inside wrap around the whole seating area. So yeah, that's coming later this year. So that's exciting. But for now, the, we got the screens on the outside and uh, that's good. So yeah, a lot a lot happening in Vegas. I didn't know about the movies. That's that's really interesting. You know, is it like as in Hollywood movies or a special movie that they came up with just to you know feature the, the, the technology? It's funny because on the Vegas show, Mark always refers it to as the world's most expensive movie theater. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's an in-house movie. They will be able to show like special screenings and they're going to have special event showings there. Uh, but they have developed an in-house movie that's, I think, an hour long. I forget the director, but he's a Hollywood director and it's specifically made for this fear. So to take advantage of the sound and the visuals and, and all of that. And depending on the seat, it's weird because they're selling the movie tickets on Ticketmaster. And so you have to pay all those junk fees with Ticketmaster uh, and they have the seat map. So it's all based on where you sit, even for the movies. So like the front seats, I think the most expensive ones are like 50 or 60 bucks. And then I think the cheapest were like 30 or 40 or something like that. But uh, you can find the, the tickets at Ticketmaster. But I think this is going to be a thing that if people like Vegas and they're going to Vegas, everybody's going to want to see this thing and do it. And I think it instantly becomes a icon of the city, you know, akin to the Bellagio fountains. To sum it up, I think, uh, you know, we lost uh, no resort fees and free parking at MGM, but uh, we gained a cool new uh, thing to see for everyone that goes to Vegas. Uh, it's going to be be quite the sight. I mean, just those images from the 4th of July were something. And we also lost uh, the AA executive card as one of the more interesting travel hacks in the space, uh, something that's been all around a long time. There's good and bad news with the AA executive card, right? The good news is that they're bringing a 100K bonus back to the card uh, this month, later this month, in a couple weeks. I think on July 23rd is the date. So they're bringing a 100K bonus back to the card. I think it's 50K right now. Uh, but the bad news is they're raising the annual fee to 595 from 450. Now this card, you know, came out in an era where all the premium cards were 450. The MX Platinum was 450. The Sapphire Reserve was 450. Everything was 450. Obviously, very little is 450 anymore. So that sort of makes sense. But the big problem is that they're changing the way authorized users work. And with that card, the primary card holder and authorized users get Admirals Club access for themselves and two guests. And it's been great. And you can add up to 10 authorized users with no extra annual fees. So think for a $450 annual fee, you can have the primary card user up to 10 authorized users and life is good. Everybody's, you know, paying and 50 bucks or so and getting Admirals Club access, or at least if you share it with your friends and they're willing to pitch in or whatever, that's been a strategy people have used. Now, the first three authorized users will be 175 and then each additional will be 175 on top of the 595 annual fee. So it's a big, big cut. Now, they do say Admirals Clubs are going to get nicer and they also raise the price of Admirals Club membership. So uh, you're going to have a nicer Admirals Club maybe? I don't know, uh, but it, it, this sucks. Yeah, I think you covered it. Uh, that, that That's kind of the deal. I, I guess the only thing that you add is that it's still a good deal for people who are going to use it. I mean, you, you run the math, you know, compared to just buying a, a club membership outright, it's still a good deal. Uh, the only other thing I'd note, and, you know, folks who've had this card probably already know this, but if you're, you know, thinking about doing the thing of, you know, sharing authorized user cards with friends and splitting the fee and so forth is the primary card holder uh, has a full Admirals Club membership, which means they can go to partner lounges. Like for me, that means Alaska Airlines lounges on the West Coast, as long as you're flying any one world, you know, 
Alaska, American Airlines, and so forth. The authorized user cards are only access to Admirals Club lounges, not partner lounges. Yeah, and one other difference is the primary card holder, because you have that full membership, they can look it up. It's attached to your Advantage number and everything else. Uh, if you're an authorized user, you need that card with you, uh, or else uh, I think you're pretty much out of luck. I've, I've seen people get turned away. So you need that card with you. Uh, but, you know, yeah, you're, to your point, it could still be a good deal around, what, 200 bucks a year if you had three authorized users. Or, I mean, I guess every additional authorized user is 175 So that keeps the price in and around 175 to 200 So if you're using Admirals Club Access, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. If you're somebody like me, like I'm an authorized user on somebody's card, and I just did it as an insurance thing, like 50 bucks a year just to have access if I need it. And I have used it, you know, a few times, but not. it's not something I do quite often. So $200 a year would be a different calculation for me, I think. Uh, but the good news is if you're not like all crazy about all this, you want to get a year of Admirals Club access and 100,000, you know, Advantage Miles. Now you're going to pay the 595 annual fee up front. Uh, they did add some spending thresholds so that you can earn more loyalty points. But typically this isn't a card you're going to want to use for everyday spend. Uh, but those 100,000 AA miles, some people value them at two cents each. But, you know, let's say between one and a half and two cents. So 1500 to $2,000 value. So at least they're giving you a good bonus with this uh, when it changes over on the 23rd. Yeah. But I, I don't know, because some people are saying, should I apply now? Uh, because you can still apply with the old annual fee, the free authorized users for a year, and it'll probably switch over at some point. Uh, I don't know. I think I would probably get the bigger bonus. Uh, but unless you really have this scheme where you have all these people and everything else, uh, what would you do? It's a tough call. There's obviously pros and cons. I think getting 100,000, certainly 100,000 AA points uh, certainly takes the sting off of the higher annual fee, at least you know for some period of time. The only other thing I'll just mention, and this might be a little bit in the weeds, uh, but uh, it's interesting that the AU cards, authorized user cards for for this, uh, are the exact same account number uh, as the primary card. So if you do have you know friends on your account, uh, first of all, you can turn off spending. So you can literally turn off spending on the card completely uh, through your city account, so that the cards can only be used for access. That's you know one little tip or trick. But the all the card numbers are exactly the same, which means that if you have any authorized user change for whatever reason, one person goes away, doesn't want to be on the account anymore. Uh, I found out the hard way that uh, they have to reissue new cards to everyone just by virtue of dropping someone, not by adding a new authorized user, but if you ever drop an authorized user, <laughs> they have to issue all new cards. Oh, that's insane. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, that's. I, I feel like a lot of people who have a lot of authorized users are going to be in for a headache now uh, in getting this done and figuring all this out. But yes, it was a good thing while it lasted. And, you know, the value could still be there for the right people. So that's good. At least it's not completely blown out of the water. But yeah, it's like quadruple what it used to be, like 50 bucks. I mean, that was... Now, if only we could go back to this card being churnable back in the good old days. I think uh, you you recall that maybe going back seven, ten years ago when they had the 100000 offer and it was uh, quite churnable. Yeah, so they used to have the 100 k offer and you could get it multiple times and many of us did. I think I got seven or eight of them. I'm still burning off those AA miles from that deal, honestly. Uh, so that was a, it was great back in the day. Unfortunately, the new 100 k offer you can't do that with, but at least it's a good offer and it's a good way to kind of stack some uh, points in your account and then... And, you know, enjoy that Admirals Club access, especially if you think you want to do it. And to your point, it's full Admirals Club access. So partner lounges and stuff, if you get the card yourself. Quick, quick mention on that. Uh, you know, again, uh, for West Coast people, Alaska, you know, especially if you're, you know, out of Seattle, the you know lounge network for uh, Alaska keeps improving. I know Portland Airport has a new Alaska lounge refresh coming out. It's, you know, probably a couple of years out. Alaska, as is the case, you know, as you mentioned, American, everyone seems to kind of be trying to up their lounge game. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that's what's 
cool about it. And that's what American is using as their excuse for raising their prices. We all know how good the Delta Sky Clubs have gotten, uh, you know, especially just the decor, the the whole experience there. I feel like if you, I, I think I talked about this on a Diamond show, but I said, if you really compare lounges today to even what they were 10 years ago, they're significantly better. They might be more crowded for sure. But, you know, if you looked at what the Admirals Clubs were 10 years ago before they renovated them, you know, they're still terrible. I think the one I, I was talking with Benji about it, I think the one in Charlotte, which used to be a U.S. Airways lounge, is still not renovated yet. It has these like old leather chairs and that kind of gives you an example of what things were before. So we're definitely getting better lounge products, even though oftentimes, you know, things are crowded. I think the airline lounges aren't as bad. I know Delta had those issues before they changed their rules for access, but I haven't like seen lines for Admiral's Clubs lately or anything like that, like we've seen with some of the other clubs. But definitely their product is significantly better than it was and hopefully it'll get better. They keep saying they got the free guacamole, but every time I'm there, there's never free guacamole. So I don't even know what time I can ever get free guacamole. I had it in that Charlotte lounge just probably a year or so ago, but I, I had it there. And yeah, I remember what you're talking about. It's definitely got that old U.S. Airways feel with the dark wood and the you know dark leather and all that. Yeah, I've only had the guacamole once in all of my visits. So I don't I think I don't know what what's what the voodoo is to finding that. But it'll change your world. You need to you need to experience it. <laughs> it's worth all of the fees combined. <laughs> so uh, Prime Day was this week. And I feel like Prime Day is coming to a maturation where it's been going on for so long and we're kind of used to it and that's fine like you're not getting anything crazy we've talked on this show plenty of times before you're never going to find a price on prime day that's better than a price that you'll find on another sale day you know usually it's just like amazon matching their black friday prices or their holiday prices or something like that so it's never going to be something like where you have to do it but my favorite parts of prime day are the different you know promotions and things like that we talked about pay with points and you wanted to give a reminder to people because i guess you just checked yours uh today now i did my pay with points my american express ones i had two accounts where i was targeted with 40 percent off i use those on uber gift cards i think joe and i talked about benji's strategy last week and benji i think he's the one who came up with this but it was about a year ago i started doing this and because i've been traveling so much occasionally we get uber eats you know coupons and we'll do that i don't mind having the uber balance you know it's simple you just load it into your account it uses up your amex credits first which is nice um so i was able to like lock in you know, $300. I only had it on two accounts, so $300 in Uber gift cards for $180, which I think is a great deal. Uh, how, how did you do? Did, were you targeted across more cards than me? Yeah, well, congratulations. You did better than me to get the 40%. I got 30% uh, off of 100 so maximum $30 discount, I believe, on three accounts. And then I think I also had some similar ones for Discover as well. Actually, I think it was the exact same offer for Discover cards, but it was just a good reminder to me as I went in and looked across my three Amazon accounts uh, to make sure that like cards are current in there. So I don't use my Discover cards very often on Amazon. So I had a bunch of old you know, Discover cards in there with expired you know, expiration dates. So they didn't get those offers uh, on one or two of my accounts. So it was a good reminder to go in there and make sure that even if you don't use it, of course, you should should never use other than the, the penny that you have to use to get these promos to get the $30, you know, off, the 30% off 100 or whatever your offer is. So I went in there uh, and, you know, that's definitely, uh, to you know, your point, one of the, my favorite parts of Prime Day and Black Friday when they kind of refresh those pay with points deals. And and while I think Uber is a great use, and I've certainly used it uh, the exact same way that you described just now, and I think last week talking with Joe, I found that it's just a, a great thing too for I mean, for, for me right now, we have kids 
that are, you know, graduating actually one high school, one college, and we're, you know, in this graduation party uh, season. And uh, I found that it's great to not only buy Uber, but potentially other gift cards to give as gifts. I mean, there's no way to get around, you know, using cash generally uh, for us, you know, travel hackers that like to use points for everything. You know, there's no way to get around using cash for, you know, giving gifts and gift cards is a, you know, very common sort of graduation uh, gift or whatever, you know, birthday gifts. So, you know, using that discount for gift cards uh, of whatever type you think, you know, the, the person receiving the gift might like. For, for me, that's that's been a great use. For me, it's just really about making things as simple as possible at this point with those. Because there was times where back in the day, I would like spend a lot of time trying to search for things to buy. Funny enough, I spend a lot of money on Amazon, but not a lot on personal stuff on Amazon. I, I don't know why I will struggle to be like, all right, I have this credit. Let me try to find something to buy for myself. Um, so this kind of makes it super easy. I used to buy Best Buy gift cards and sell those. Um, but I do like the idea of just kind of stockpiling gift cards for a gift. Whatever it is, it's basically free money. And I think, you know, I talk about these a lot on the show, on the site and everything. But I mean, hundreds and hundreds of dollars a year for the last six, seven years, I mean, that we've been getting from this. So it's, you know, really a a very lucrative opportunity that's gone on forever. And it doesn't take a lot of effort, especially if you can find a very simple uh, way to do it. So that's that's uh, what we're talking about here. Yeah. Uh, you know, just make it simple and then just check those links every once in a while. We always cover it on the site and I'll put the links uh, down in the description too. Uh, but, you know, every couple months, check in. And if you see somebody mention it, check in and usually you'll do it. And like I said, I have multiple Amazon accounts. So every member of my household has an Amazon account. Um, I do manage an account for my dad plus a business account in my dad's name, plus other business accounts. And so all those can get targeted. I think I have eight accounts total. So you should have as many accounts as it makes sense for your household. I'm never saying make up fake accounts and I don't. They're all corresponding to a business or a person, but you know, make sure you have those. And then as PDX deals guy said, make sure your cards are current on there. So you do get targeted for offers. Use this as a good opportunity. If you're not targeted for something, add the card on there, make sure it works. I didn't get any of those 30%. So I got the 40% on two accounts, then 15% on every other other account and 15% isn't enough to move the needle needle for me. So I just sort of let those ones go, but 30, I would have grabbed for sure. Yeah. It's interesting how uh, everyone has different offers. Mine were all 30% or 10%, but you know, much like your 15%, the 10% didn't move the needle for me. The the other thing that I'd mentioned you know, briefly on prime day, you know, while it wasn't terribly exciting, I agree with all everything you said on that front. It, it is still good for folks who are involved with buyers clubs. Uh, you know, there was definitely, and, and the important thing, not just at Amazon, of course, prime day or prime week or Prime two days have become, you know, prime week for all the retailers out there, you know, whether it's Target or Walmart or Best Buy. Uh, so if you're a person, and I know we've done episodes in the past kind of talking about reselling and buyers clubs, uh, don't need to get into that in too much detail. But for folks who do buyers club, as I still do to some degree, um, you know, a lot of activity that week, you know, both in terms of, you know, whether it's various electronics from, you know, Best Buy or Target or whatever to uh, on specifically on Amazon, uh, a lot of their, you know, Amazon devices, the Fire tablets and Fire TVs and Kindles and so forth. The nice thing with that is uh, a lot of those have very nice portal, shopping portal uh, discounts attached to them where you can get another 8% or 10% uh, cash back for, for using portals. Uh, Amazon Prime Day or Prime Days, you know, wasn't a big deal for me, but uh, definitely got some some nice spending done in addition to taking advantage of those pay with points deals. Yeah, I spoke on our spending time show in the MTM Diamond Lounge. Uh, we do a show every couple weeks uh, talking all about spending. Benji hosts that with uh, Ryan 
Ben Flanagan, who is our Facebook moderator. Every other show I'm on, and then every other show we have a guest who's like a big member of the community, does a lot of spending. So it's a great show, a lot of fun. But on this last show, we talk, I talked with Ryan about his buyers group stuff from Prime Day. And I think he did 35K in spending on Prime Get Day just for buyers clubs. And uh, so th- there's definitely a lot of opportunity there if you're interested in that. Uh, as we've talked before, and as PDX said, we've we've covered this before on other shows. So you can go back and look at that, you know, but this is sort of a business. So you got to, there's a lot of risk, there's tracking, there's a lot of things to consider if you're going to do buyers groups. But this is one of those days that's a big spend day if you're in one, the other one being, you know, Black Friday week, a lot of deals around then as well, you know, but these are the best ones. Usually you'll have the best ones for commissions, a lot less that are you lose money on. I notice a lot of buyers groups lately have been, they'll pay you a little bit less than the cost, but on these days you tend to get better offers, better variety, and uh, you can do that. So that's good. Uh, so I want to talk credit cards real quick. Southwest and Chase came out with a new business card offer that uh, is, you know, interesting. Uh, it's 120,000 rapid rewards points, but they give you 60,000 after you spend 3,000 in the first three months, pretty typical. But you can earn an additional 60,000 after you spend 15,000 on purchases in the first nine months. So 120,000 altogether. This I think is the best that we've ever seen as a one card total. But obviously we're in the middle of the year. So if you got the card now, you know, you're going to get the companion pass for this year and all of next year. I know there's some strategies, people trying to figure out how they can get this offer so that they can have all the points post in 2024 and then get the companion pass for 2024 and 2025. Uh, but the offer ends August 28th. So how could you how could you pull that off? Yeah, it's uh, it's tight at best. I, I was running the numbers a little bit myself because I happen to be in this two-player mode with uh, my wife where she has the companion pass uh, the last couple of years expiring this year. So I'm, I'm, I'm on deck to uh, be getting the cards later this year. And then I saw this offer come out. DDG you know, pointed out to me and I believe it's in our post for this deal that the deal is available through September 4th via referral instead of uh, you know the end of August and just adding those extra days I went back and kind of calculated the last time my wife got these cards you know kind of when the statements cut and you know I started thinking to myself could you potentially contact Chase and ask them to change your cut date on the statement uh, you know I don't want to get you know too much into the details here but just running the math I guess do it yourself and, and see if it's, it's going to be tight no matter what but I, I think I kind of proved to myself that if you apply very close to that September 4th date and, and really pay attention to it close, you may be able to have it so that you get the points after your statement cuts. If, if the points hit after your statement cuts in January of 2024, you know, that's when those points hit. So basically you're saying now this is takes risk, right? The points could come sooner. Uh, other things could happen, but it's just an interesting thought experiment here. But if you applied, let's say around September 4th and then figured out a way to change your statement date so that your statement cuts after January 1st, potentially, and you, you know, put all your spend towards the end of the window, then potentially at like right at the end of the year, your 90 day, your three month window, because you want those to hit as late as possible to still count, then potentially you could have all your 120,000, and then you hit the 15k spend, you know, in early 2024 to get the extra 60k and potentially you could get all 120k. Plus, of course, you would be you get your one x for your spending. So you'd be over the 125k you need for the companion pass with just this one card. Now, of course, you could just do that now get it for the rest of this year get it for next year 120,000 southwest points has a decent value to it with a $99 annual fee so you're looking at a very valuable 
sign-up bonus here. Absolutely. I know you and Joe have talked about in the past uses for ultimate reward points. And sometimes I'm listening to the podcast and going, talk about Southwest, uh, you know, and, and it's you know certainly not the popular usage compared to Hyatt uh, or maybe even United. Probably not United, but you know, I, for for me personally, especially for someone who has a companion pass, Southwest is a solid use of ultimate reward points. So if if you kind of think of this as being almost at a hundred twenty thousand know, ultimate reward point bonus, if you're going to use ultimate reward points for Southwest, anyways, it, it's a great offer. So speaking of United, since you brought them up, they are debuting a new first class seat, domestic first class seat in their new planes, uh, their seven thirty seven Max planes, and I, I guess they're going to retrofit their older planes with it. Uh, but it is. Uh, they say it's designed for the modern traveler, more charging options, bigger spaces for devices. Uh, there's a privacy divider between the seats, which is kind of nice because I don't know if you've ever been in domestic first class where you're even still kind of wrangling with the person for elbow space. You know, people don't respect that line in between. So this puts a privacy divider there. Uh, it has wireless charging for your phones, has Bluetooth on their 13-inch personal entertainment screen, uh, which is high definition. It looks like a nice product. I mean, it's, it's a domestic first class seat for sure, but... But, you know, I, I like that it has the modern stuff. I really do wish more planes would get Bluetooth because it's getting, you know, it gets very old to have to, you know, we flew American Airlines from London to Dallas, you know, a few weeks ago. And of course, you know, American Airlines is famous in business class. They give you these great headphones and then they take them away an hour before you land. And it's so darn annoying because no other airline does this. Like, I get it that you're worried about somebody stealing them, but is there not a scenario where you can collect these in a way where People don't have to sit there for the last hour of their flight uh, without anything. But anyway, it's nice to add Bluetooth so you can actually just use your AirPods and not have to switch over. Just experience that uh, flying Condor business class uh, transatlantic. They allow, you know, it's it's a new product. They have Bluetooth connection and it's, uh, and they actually don't give out, the headphones are okay. They're, they're not as as nice as the American ones, but just the ability to be able to use your AirPods uh, is definitely a nice setup and we've got to be moving that direction. And I think it has to be a cost savings for them in the long term. Obviously, we're going to have to watch these airlines switch over their products to new tech. And when they do, they'll have Bluetooth, right? All the new products have Bluetooth. It's just, you know, the plane has to be retrofitted and they only do that so often. Uh, But yeah, I feel like it's going to be a cost savings for them in in business class. Most people aren't going to use their headphones uh, anymore. And then they don't have to pass out on the international flights and economy. They don't have to pass out those cheap five cent headphones anymore. They can just say, use your use your own. I don't know. But this United seat, what do you think of it? I mean, I think, you know, Again, it's just domestic first class, so I don't know how much you can invent it. But I feel like over the last few years, we've seen them move to slimline seats. Uh, It seems like domestic first class, especially on carriers like American, has gotten cut back. Like there isn't even a divider on the 737 Max between first class and economy. I feel like this is a nicer seat than what we've seen in some previous uh, improvement phases. Yeah, just from looking at the Miles Memories post on it, it it looks uh, very interesting. You know, it's, it's nice to see any of the domestic carriers. You know, upping their game on first class. Uh, that said, I will uh, say, uh, you know, ask me when was the last time I flew United, and I wouldn't be able to tell you. But, uh, but you know, for me, as I've made mention a few times, uh, as an Alaska flyer off the West Coast, anything has got to be better than Alaska first class. So you know, hopefully United and others upping their game there will somehow uh, along the way drag Alaska along to coming up with a better product. United needs to add that carpet to the front of their cabins, yeah. uh, like Alaska right. has, and then everything would be. I will say that these seats do look very stiff. They don't look like they have a lot of padding. So they're definitely like slim line. But what seat on an airplane these days has padding anymore? Uh, We don't get that a lot. 
So I wanted to close with this with you uh, because you're in the process of buying a car, uh, an EV, which is is great. Everybody knows I own a Tesla and you're not buying a Tesla, which is, you know, a little heartbreaking for me, but it's not like I'm the biggest Tesla fanboy either. Uh, I've, you know, it's, it's been crazy to see the last few years, the explosion of electric vehicles uh, and, and everything around that. Uh, so you're actually in the moment right now. I think you're getting your car delivered in like two or three hours from now. So you're in that like weird moment where you're talking to me, but you're thinking about your sexy car that's about to come and, you know, all that anticipation. But let's talk about like what the economics of this are because I haven't bought a car since 2020. And of course, the car market has been so crazy. It's funny because this is just a personal history between us. I remember we had the first Miles to Memories meetup in Vegas in 2014, right? Yeah. And you and I had both just bought a car. You had bought a Nissan Altima and I had bought an Infiniti Q30, I think it was. And uh, I had found through Lease Hacker a great lease deal. Uh, I think I was paying like less than $300 a month for this car, which is like a $40,000 car, which $40,000 car today seems a lot different than it did in 2014 for sure. Uh, but anyway, it was a great deal. Uh, but I think I, since th- those buying those cars, you had the Altima and then I bought a bunch of other cars along the way. I bought a Hyundai Genesis, which again was another Lease Hacker crazy good lease deal. Uh, I bought some trucks for my business, uh, Ford Expedition. Uh, And then in 2020, we bought a Volvo XC90, which was a profitable thing. We sold it two years later for quite a bit more than we paid. And we also bought the Tesla in that year. So I've owned like so many cars since you just bought that Nissan Altima back in 2014. So I'm excited for you to get this. And not only that, you're getting a a very sexy car, a, uh, well, you could tell people what what you're getting. Yeah. Uh, I'm moving on from the Altima that I've had for eight years. I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a value guy. I mean, I'm jealous. Definitely the cars that Sean is driven and uh, the deals that he's gotten. But, and, and I have to say that uh, driving your Tesla uh, definitely pushed my brain in the direction of, wow, these new EVs, the, you know, performance and the ride and quality. It's just, it's just something, some, some, something else. I, you know, I would recommend to anyone, if you haven't driven a Tesla, and I think just about every world probably is moving in the direction of, you know, having a friend that has one just based upon how many you see on the road now. But if you haven't driven one, go make an appointment at the dealership. They'll let you just take off in one for an hour. It, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, so we did that. We consider the Tesla, you know, the pros and cons to Tesla versus uh, getting to your point that the car that we ended up buying is a, a Hyundai. Hyundai has, has had the Ionic 5. I'll let people, you know, look it up. I won't you know, talk about it too much. They've had that for, I think, three or four years. And then they just came out with the Ionic 6, which is similar to the 5, except with more of a sedan body style, as opposed to a crossover SUV hatchback sort of look. Um, so we're getting the Ionic 6, as you said, coming later today. I, I, you know, I think the interesting part of the deal, as you pointed out, is kind of the financial aspect of it. Uh, again, probably don't have time to get too deep in the weeds on, on the details of it, but people are probably familiar with the fact that there are incentives, uh, federal incentives uh, for buying EVs. Um, it was just recently updated with, I, I believe it was part of the Inflation Reduction Act in April. So uh, the, the EV tax credit was extended at the federal level. So I'll just mention some states, unfortunately not mine, also have credits as well. So that's worth checking on. But the, the federal tax credit, the, the big feature on it is that they made changes to, it's still $7,500, but besides there being an income requirement, you have to be a, a below a certain level of pretty pretty high level of income to qualify. But the other thing that they changed is now uh, you have to have a certain amount of content, uh, United States manufactured content uh, to qualify for this. So I mentioned I'm getting a Hyundai and, and uh, you know Hyundai will probably scramble over the course of the next year or two and make sure they have enough U.S. content. But uh, Hyundai and Toyota and some others, uh, at least as of right now, do not. But there's a nice little uh, loophole. And if you just Google uh, EV tax credit 
lease loophole. Um, you'll you'll see lots of articles about this. We'll get into that in a second, but I want to point out something you talk about state credits. I'm shocked that Oregon doesn't have a secondary credit, quite honestly, because just your reputation in Oregon. Uh, but other states like California has a big credit. I think New Jersey, there's other states that have these credits. So uh, you can really do great. And uh, if you're willing to look around on like Lease Hacker, even sometimes on Slick Deals and other places, people will post lease deals. And a lot of times lease deals are like insane in states where you get extra tax incentives because that helps with the math and everything else. So it's definitely worth looking into what sort of incentives you could get. Not only the federal one that he's going to talk about in a second, but state ones, because there are states that have them. Unfortunately, Nevada isn't one of them either. So, uh, you know, I see all these crazy deals for like California, Southern California cars, where you get them from the dealership and all the other incentives. And I can never take advantage of them. I'd love for you to explain how the EV loophole works, because I feel like this is something that maybe a lot of people don't know about. And also, you know, it's fairly simple and it could be very lucrative if you're not otherwise going to qualify. Or in your case, if you want to get a car that doesn't qualify under that U.S. parts rule. Yeah, so a certain amount of content needs to be of the, of the car needs to be built in the United States, and you know all the foreign manufacturers are going to probably do whatever they need over the course of the next year or two to make sure that they have enough U.S. content. I'm not familiar with exactly what the details are, but I know they're all working on it. But as of right now, you know Hyundai, for example, the car that I'm getting doesn't qualify for the purchase tax credit uh, that you run through your personal taxes. But there's this lease loophole out there that you can you know Google up and read all about, uh, where if you are leasing the car because you're not taking ownership, the you know, in this case, Hyundai Finance is taking ownership of the car and I'm renting it from them uh, because they are the owner and it's not run through the person's personal taxes. Manufacturer, their finance arm gets the $7,500 off right away uh, up front and passes that along to you. Uh, and then most companies will allow you to buy out the lease for a, a fairly small amount with, with Hyundai. It's about $650 to initiate the lease and then $300 to buy out the lease. Literally on you know day two, you could buy out the, the lease. So you lose $950 of the value, but, you know, you're still getting, you know, almost or just a little over $6,500 lease credit that you wouldn't otherwise be able to qualify for. Uh, it's a great deal. Yeah, it's amazing that both it goes around the income requirements and the parts requirements and, you know, really opens that credit up uh, in different ways. Obviously, car leases are a whole other subject. And I highly recommend people, if you're ever finding a deal, spend some time diving into how car leases work, you know, how the residual value works, just how the kind of dynamics of them work. And that's, you know, I talked about my deals on the Infinity and the Hyundai Genesis back in the day. And one of the reasons that those were such good deals, and again, I found them elsewhere. It's not like I figured out the math myself, was because they were running really high residual values on the cars. And that's the value that the car will be worth when you turn it back in. And so basically a combination of a good discount on sales price, which isn't going to happen so much right now, but you know, in the future, plus a high residual value can mean very low monthly payments. That's why my payment on my Infinity was like $300 a month uh, because I was able to get, you know, 10 or 12,000 off of MSRP. Plus they had high residuals, all that stuff. So understand how, like, I feel like how all of that works. Cause there a lot of people, I feel like say car leases are a bad deal and they certainly can be a bad deal. In many cases, they're a very, very bad deal. But if you can have good credit uh, and obviously the car industry isn't what it was, but it's slowly getting back to that. Uh, when we're in a time of normal supply and demand, you can often, you know, go into a dealership, no money 
down uh, if they have these different lease deals and you can kind of pay attention to websites that do that. Or like you said, maybe who cares if the lease is a good deal or not, you're paying it off and you're basically pocketing 6500 of the $7,500 tax credit that you would have gotten and you're not having to deal with it on your taxes. I wonder if that just simplifies it all as well, right? Because it's just built into the price of your car. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, interestingly, I've, you know, the internet, of course, is always your friend. It takes some time, but, uh, you know, some deep, dark holes like Reddit and so forth, you can find people, you know, talking about their experiences doing this. It was a great resource for me to understand. And there's a lot of misinformation about, you know, leases and how they work, even even with, you know, you're dealing with the finance manager at the dealership, they'll tell you that, you know, if you go to pay off the lease, you have to pay off all of the payments and all of the interest. And that's just simply not true. You have to pay for effectively the rent factor and the car for as long as you hold it. In my case, it may only be a matter of days before I you know, decide to, to pay off the lease. And there's you know really only, again, that you know $950 that goes away, still giving you a $6,500 discount. It's a great deal. I know we're a bit off uh, off travel, but this is uh, you know certainly a great financial deal, which I know you also cover um, and excited to get my new car. Yeah, it is a great deal. And yes, uh, leases work a lot like rent. So it's prorated rent. Just think of it that way. It doesn't work a lot different than a regular loan on a car as far as the way you're thinking about it, how you're accruing, you know, interest on it and and stuff like that. I mean, they do work differently on the back end. But as far as if you were to go trade in a car and they're going to pay it off, you're going to have interest through the day you pay it off. And that's what you're going to pay. Similar thing with the the lease uh, as far as your accumulated quote unquote rent or or whatever. Quick note, uh, since this is the Tesla fanboy podcast, it's uh, worth noting that Tesla, at least I believe, recently changed their rules to not allow you to buy out a lease early. And in fact, even at the end of the lease, you have no option to buy the car. You must turn it back in. I think that changed as of a few months ago. Um, So this hack that I'm talking about uh, will not work with Teslas. The good news is that Teslas do obviously have enough U.S. content that you still qualify as long as you're under the income requirement. I didn't know that. So basically, Tesla's moving to a subscription model instead of a traditional car lease. Almost two different things, right? Uh, Tesla's moving to where you're just paying a monthly payment and then you're giving them the car back at the end. Uh, There are a couple startups that are doing something very similar uh, with Tesla's uh, where you just, there's one company, I can't remember the name of it, but you basically go to their website. uh, They charge about a $6,000 startup fee and then a monthly fee for the car. And then they say over time, you know, that you're paying less than if you were to buy the car. And of course they own the car. And basically it's a month to month service with a big startup cost up front. You're not going to keep it for a month, right? But let's say you drive it for four years. They take care of all the maintenance, anything that happens to it. Your monthly rate is locked in. And when you're ready for a new car, you just give it to them. And I feel like that's going to be more of a future model. And that seems like that's what Tesla is moving towards. That's not the car lease that we're talking about though. The traditional car lease of the past uh, that everybody else does. But yeah, Tesla getting tricky, man. Yeah, what you're talking about is the you know subscription of everything model, the Netflix of cars. Yeah, and that's spread everywhere. BMW has said that they're coming out with subscription stuff for certain features. So they'll equip a car with everything. But if you want air conditioning, no, I'm just kidding. But, uh, you know, something like that, uh, you got to pay for certain premium features. Tesla's obviously done that with their full self-driving. And, you know, there's a whole group of people who think that subscription is the future of this sort of stuff, whether it be, you know, things like Zipcar, where you have a membership 
trip and then you can just use a car for a few hours or to your point where you just basically are renting a car for a long period of time because that's basically what Tesla's lease is. It's just like a car rental for three years or for whatever it is and then you hand it back to them. So I guess there's pluses and minuses, but a, a lot of interesting stuff. But I'm glad you're getting your electric car. I'm glad that you were able to share the loophole with everybody. Also, I'm really interested to see if anybody does work out the companion pass on that Southwest offer. A lot of times referral links have stayed active past the dates or we found links, but that's not something you can really count on, you know, to, to know it's there. So I have a feeling that a lot of people are going to be happy in September if these links stay around, uh, but it's not something that you could really plan on happening. And I know that if I planned on that, then they would probably go away. So uh, we, we, that's just the way uh, life goes. But a lot of good stuff we talked about today. Anything else you want to mention? So you're going on a Virgin Cruise uh, booked as part of that deal in Europe. You just came back from a couple weeks in Europe. So maybe we'll have to have you come back after your Virgin Cruise. We'll talk about all your European travels, your Condor flight, all your redemptions, all of that stuff. Does that sound good? Yep. Sounds good. Look forward to it. Yeah. Head, headed out uh, in a little over a week or so to go on a Condor cruise or sorry, back on Condor. <laughs> oh man, a Condor cruise. <laughs> back on Condor. Uh, we're, we're, yeah. We will talk more about it on a later episode, but uh, yeah, Condor is uh, you know a great option for you know direct nonstop flights from the West West Coast to, to Frankfurt, and then you have to move on from there, of course. But uh, we'll talk more about my experience with that. But uh, doing that again, and then having my first Virgin Cruise experience uh, using the the offer that they had a while back uh, to basically use sixty two thousand Amex points with a transfer bonus to Virgin. So you know, it's just a great deal on a cruise. Looking forward to it. Yeah, it was a great deal, and you did the status match too. So we can cover a lot of that stuff. So you can tell us what it was like on board, everything else, and we can fight about what I liked that you didn't, and what you liked that I. Did. Didn't. Uh, so we can discuss that. Plus, you did a ton of stuff in Europe uh, in the last few weeks, too. So I feel like we have a lot, whole other show to discuss that. So we'll have you back soon. In the meantime, where can people find you when they're not listening to this fine podcast? Uh, the two places for me are probably uh, Twitter at PDX Deals Guy. And then in the Miles to Memories Diamond Slack, I'm not a Facebook person, but uh, if you join the, the Diamond group, I'm in the Diamond Slack. You can uh, hit me there. And, and regarding Twitter and kind of the travels that you mentioned, you know, I'm not terribly active on Twitter, but if anyone wants to go and check out my account there. You can see I kind of, when I do these trips, especially like we just did to Europe, I do a daily uh, post kind of showing my highlights of the day and, you know, each of the cities and what I've done. Uh, so if people can see that on the Twitter account and uh, appreciate uh, the opportunity to be on today. And uh, it's been, it's been fun. Look forward to doing it again, maybe soon to talk my, about my travels. And you can find everything that we do at Miles to Memories all over social media, the new milestomemories.com, new design, uh, all of our posts, podcasts, videos there. We still do that Vegas show, as we talked about earlier in the show, youtube.com forward slash Miles to Memories. That's me and Mark. And then for this podcast, mtmpodcast.com. That has links to subscribe. Apply for cars if you want to support the show, if you appreciate the content that helps keep us going. And yeah, everything at milestomemories.com. Thanks so much, uh, PDX Deals Guy, for joining us again and we will have you back soon thanks to everybody for listening talk to you next time See ya.